Hi folks, welcome to the happysaver.com podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. On this episode of the Happy Saver podcast, I talk with Rachel and David, who are a New Zealand success story. When quite young, they stumbled upon buying rental properties in Auckland, no less, and over time they bought a few more while working their day jobs. But it was their day job that enabled them to pay off their mortgages, and today they go into detail about how they did it. Would you like some free money? Sharesies is offering a sign-up bonus of $10 for all Kiwis wanting to start investing. Sharesies is one of the platforms I use to invest in my personal favourite, index funds, and they are a company that has rapidly become a New Zealand success story as they have enabled thousands of people to get involved in share investing, often for the very first time. If you would like to sign up with Sharesies and get $10 into your Sharesies wallet, go to thehappysaver.com forward slash sharesies and start your investing journey today. I caught up with a dynamic duo this week who have their lives well in order. Let's call them Rachel and David, not their real names. They want to fly under the radar as many of these shy Kiwis do. And I tell you, one of the hardest things about this podcasting lark is coming up with pseudonyms. I find myself drawn to using the names of my friends, but then there is the potential that anyone who knows my friends might think I am referring to them and that they are leading some covert, financially sorted life. So be it. I might add fuel to the fire on that one and just leave it hanging. So David has been retired for 13 years now and he is only 54. Rachel is 51 and has been semi-retired since 2004 but still works as a nurse on a very, very casual basis. Just one to two days per week although she tells me that less would be better. If you woke from a coma, Rachel would be the person you would want to see first as she is lovely and always has a smile on her face. Now, anyone who retires in their early 40s has my attention, and I was impressed and very keen to learn more about them. And apparently, I'm not the first person to ask them how they did it, and my first obvious question was, how have you managed to retire so young? And their answer, put very simply, was, we had sufficient funds. I had to backtrack to the start of their working lives to get the full picture of how these two came to be sitting in my living room on a sunny morning. Both developed a work ethic very early on in life and both recall working and saving while still at school to pay for school trips that they needed to go on. When David finished high school, he went on to complete a toolmaking apprenticeship, which he claimed to be ratchet at and then went on to work in the design and engineering team of a manufacturing company. And over time, the opportunity arose for him and for others that he worked with to buy this company. It was obviously a great idea because within a year, the $100,000 they had put in to buy their share of the business came back to them as a dividend payout, which is an unbelievably incredible result, and I feel that there could be a podcast in just delving deeper into that. And the company continued to perform strongly and provide a good income over the following years. 
Obviously, David did not let his poor tool-making skills hold him back when it came to being involved in the business. Now, Rachel, she completed high school and went straight to work in a hospital where she trained on the job as a nurse. It gave her a good, steady income from her very first day in a job she still really enjoys. Both Rachel and David had a savings habit from the get-go. They lived on less than they earned and then saved the rest, a habit that continues today. Both of their paths into work meant that they were trained for free on the job and were earning an income from day one. The more qualified they became, the higher the earning potential. And I can't help think that with the cost of tertiary education today, finding a job straight out of school that will offer you training by way of an apprenticeship would be an excellent way to go. Rachel and David got married when she was 19 and he was 23, and with the help of the bank, they bought their first home in Auckland about a year later. And it was around this time that he had a boss who was a mentor in all things financial. Apparently he never took his own advice, but they certainly took his, and after watching them buy their first home together, he advised them to now buy a residential rental property. They listened to what he said, crunched the numbers, and again, with the help of the bank, they bought a second house, also in Auckland. The rental income they received covered the mortgage and rates on the property, so it worked out well, and they told me that the tax benefits that came with working made the whole thing pretty cash neutral. They were earning good incomes, and they paid off their own mortgage first, then immediately they started pumping money into the second mortgage. Now, early on, by chance, they discovered a book written by a New Zealander by the name of Dolph de Roos. I had never heard that name, but a quick Google search told me that I must have had my head in the sand because he is actually a phenomenally successful property investor by all accounts. And they said it was spot on timing to read it and that they credit him with adding to their investing education in a very big and meaningful way. Another more recent read they credit with helping them is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and another influence he mentioned that resonated with me was that at the time he would not go with their own parents' advice as from where they were sitting, nothing their parents seemed to be doing was working. And considering that in our early years our parents are often so influential over us, whether we realise it or not, they did pretty well to find another way via his work mentor. Over time, Rachel and David borrowed $650,000 from the bank, which was a pretty hefty amount at the time, and in total they bought four properties in Auckland, one in Dunedin, and also the property they now call home. Their investment strategy was to buy at the top end of ordinary, and they have never chopped and changed houses, and they don't pursue better and better, but have bought and held. Three of their houses were in the same suburb in Auckland, which some may say is a classic mistake of buying in the area that you live in and know well, all of your eggs are probably in one basket. And perhaps to back this idea up, they told me that the one house they bought in a different area of Auckland is actually the one that has had the most capital gain. During this accumulation phase, they continued in their jobs, but they reached a point where they wanted to take a break from working, so they set off to the UK, which is actually the country of David's birth, and they wanted to do some serious travel and really live life, so he took a sabbatical from work and she continued to nurse during their travels around the world to cover their day-to-day living costs. 
they went overseas owing 650000 over five mortgages and the rents were keeping on top of their payments to the bank. And now for the twist. While they were away, they received an extremely unexpected offer from his company back home. They were offered $770,000 to give up their stake in the company. And they accepted the offer. Hindsight left them with slight regret as the company did go on to perform really strongly and was subsequently bought out by a competitor. But of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty, and at the time, they had no way of foreseeing this and they wanted to make it really clear that they were in no way complaining. So what did they do with this windfall? Buy five more properties? No. They used the payout of $770,000 to pay off all of their debt. Every single cent. I once spoke to an elderly man who said, Ruth, in every life we are given one or two lucky breaks that if used correctly, we can turn into opportunities. Rachel and David made the correct decision for them at that time. Now, I know that the residential property investors who are listening to this may think they should have bought even more property, but this podcast is about the journeys people have taken and the reasons they have made the decisions they did. And for them, this was the perfect decision. With their future looking secure at home and now a steady and regular income coming in from their rental portfolio, their travelling spirit really took hold and they embarked on what was to become years of exploration around the world. But did Rachel quit the part-time work she was doing? No, is the short answer. Remember that work ethic that I mentioned? Well, if from a child you are used to working, contributing to your family, earning your keep, and you find enjoyment in your work, why would you not continue on with that? They lived frugally by living in a caravan as they travelled around, and she worked off and on as required to pay for their travel. She made good money nursing, but took a lot of long breaks out of work while they travelled before returning to it to support the next stint. Today, they have approximately $3 million in equity with just over $100,000 in debt. Why the debt, I asked? Well, they are currently refurbishing the home they live in, and they took out this smaller loan to help them to do it. They are sticking with property, their only area of investment apart from KiwiSaver and a soon-to-be culled managed fund, as they feel that they have control over it and they still have no intention to buy any more property. I asked them if they invested in the stock market at all, but they don't feel that they can control the stock exchange, so they have chosen not to go there. They saw people get burned by it all those years ago in the 1980s, so they are sticking with what they understand. And to me, at least, they appear to have reached the nirvana that so many real estate investors in New Zealand are struggling to achieve. That is actually drawing an income from their property instead of just paying endless interest to the bank each week and month. With no mortgages on their rental properties to worry about, their assets really are providing them a return. And it goes without saying that they've got into the market at exactly the right point in time. Starting out today in Auckland to head down the same path would be impossible given the demand on property and the prices the market is currently calling for and I could not help but ask if they had thought they could be better off if they sold everything and invested the $3 million in shares instead and lived off the dividends. Yeah, that's a no. (laughs) They are sticking firmly to receiving rental income off the properties that they own outright. Next, I asked a question that I enjoy asking. 
If Rachel and David were given $10,000 right now, what would they do with it? They would put it straight into their $100,000 debt was their answer and this follows a pattern they have always used. Over the years, every time they've received a windfall, they have paid down debt with it. Others may have thought this was an unexpected cash bonus and bought boats and cars, but not this duo. Given the fact they are good at both travelling and saving, I asked them to pick one or the other. Over the last 15 years, they have spent a lot of money travelling. Their view is that they would much rather have the memories and experiences of travel than just piling money in the bank. They made a conscious decision not to have children and also realise that so many people die young, so they have made the choice to just go out, go for it and really get out and experience life. And being such experienced travellers, they have a few hacks for doing it well. When travelling, they never pay full price and always get a deal, which has saved them a ton of money over the years. They actually put me onto a great website, um, vacationstogo.com, which is where they have booked a few cheap boat cruises. Now, I will refer to them in the show notes on the happysaver.com forward slash podcast. And I'm actually yet to book as I do get terrible seasickness, but who knows, maybe one day. They started out on fancy cruises, but now find two for the price of one deals and have just as much fun. In the UK, they went away all the time because it was easy and accessible, but they've really cut down their amount of travel since moving back to New Zealand. They are enjoying being more settled in a house here with their cat after travelling for so long and moving from place to place all the time. And they now don't feel the need to travel just for the sake of it. They do a bit of domestic travel, but now the trip needs to have a really worthwhile destination for them to book it. Now Antarctica is now on their radar. How amazing would that be? With all of their travel, do they consider themselves to be spenders or savers, I wondered? Mm, They found this one a tricky question to answer. They don't relate to the spending for the sake of consumption in the way that some of their family do. They don't buy, in David's words, useless shit (laughs) to fill their house up with. Apart from the recent acquisition of a new car, which was a well thought out acquisition tinged with a healthy dose of buyer's remorse, I should point out, they prefer to spend their money on entertainment, hotels, food, wine, and art, and they actively support the local economy. They don't buy things as such, apart from the art, they buy experiences. So to answer my question, they consider themselves to be mindful spenders. Like most of the people I speak with, they have developed financial habits over time, things that they just automatically do, and their top three financial habits are the following – One, they pay off their credit card in full each month and maximise the points they can earn. Number two, they pay into their KiwiSaver accounts monthly. They had a timely conversation about KiwiSaver with friends when it first started back in 2007 and they credit this conversation with making sure they got involved from the very beginning. And finally, they said they don't fritter money away. They spend carefully and mindfully. Not surprisingly, they credit buying property as their biggest financial triumph. I thought they might have said selling their stake in the company as it did give them almost $800,000 in cash, but their answer was actually still buying the houses. And reflecting back, they still would have made their way with the rental houses. They just got a big kickstart with the money from the business. I asked them 
if they had ever used a financial advisor to give them some guidance due to their net worth being at about $3 million now, and their answer was a firm no. They went to one once and the people they spoke to were, in their words, idiots because they actually advised them to sell all of their investment properties and they are pleased that they did not take that advice. They are a pretty tight couple, so how do they deal with money in their relationship? Rachel and David are on the same page 100%, except for the decision to buy a brand new car, exclamation mark. They or he recently bought a brand new car and now he has a hollow feeling in the pit of his stomach and as mentioned, big time buyer's remorse. They have always driven much older cars with new in their mind being at least seven years old. To buy brand new is still feeling very odd to him. I came clean here about how many brand new cars I have foolishly bought and that's a story for another day and he did feel a little bit better. I'm pleased I could help. How does decision making happen in their house? Well, he claims to be the innovator who generally thinks of the ideas, like buying the rental properties and renovating their current home, and then he talks her into these ideas over time. She comes round to the idea and she brings the actual practicality about how to actually get these things done. Just by spending an hour in their company makes it obvious they are a really tight team who both contribute equally but in their own unique ways. Now to the nuts and bolts and how they deal with money each day. I asked if they knew how much their household spends each week or each month. Do they have a figure or a best guess? No, they don't because it varies too much, particularly when they are away travelling. They look at their bank balance daily and are aware where their money is being spent and they know they can afford it so they don't pay too close attention to it, which must be a really nice position to find themselves in. As well as the rental income, they do still have aggressive retirement funds with ANZ, but they don't have an emergency fund like a stash of cash sitting handy in a bank account. When they need money, such as for their renovations, they've always turned to borrowing which I must admit was a different mindset for me to get my head around. With so much equity, they have the ability to borrow and banks have always readily lent to them. If, in the unlikely event, the bank said no, they would have to sell a property to free up cash. They were about to close a poorly performing managed fund. It has been growing too slowly for their liking and they tell me there are too many fees. When that is cashed up, the money is going to be put towards the mortgage that we mentioned. And that is it for their investing. They've got rental properties, a retirement fund each, and a ready line of credit from their bank if required. And bear in mind, they've got that regular income coming in from their rental properties. My next question, which David answered, but he was speaking for the both of them, was if they could retain all of the knowledge they have today regarding money and could go back to their 15-year-old selves and start again, what would they do, whether it be the same or something different? He said he would do the same, but would be much more aggressive about it. Also, when mortgage rates go down, he would keep paying the maximum amount into any loan. They also once bought a section when interest rates were 20%. Just pause and think about that, 20%. The rates dropped to 10%, but they also dropped the amount they were paying in, and in hindsight, they should have kept paying the same amount. 
They also recalled using a bad banking product, which was called a reducing interest mortgage, which meant they only paid interest on their debt for a very long time, which turned out to be a huge wasted opportunity. He would avoid products like that if he was to do it all again. So what are their financial failures, things that, upon reflection, they would have done differently? They got involved in timeshares, which turned out not to be the wisest move. And if you're not aware of a timeshare, it's when you pre-purchase time in a fully furnished house or an apartment in places all around the world. They did go into it with eyes wide open, but the sales guy was a crook and the timeshare went under. But, as is often the case when we fail at something, they turned that into a positive experience, as with all their travel, they did manage to get a lot of use out of them during the time that they were involved. They also learned from their own experiences when many years back they racked up credit card debt. They got such a shock when they realised what had happened that they never did it again. Now they go with a high points earning credit card, earn as many points as they can and of course they pay it off in full every month without fail. Another, let's call it, hiccup we have already touched on is the purchase of their very first brand new car. Each time it was mentioned during our chat there was a long and contemplative pause. I don't see it as a failure because I'm pretty confident that they will still be driving it around in 20 years time. You will never hear me ask the question, what do you do all day? It must be boring when you don't have a job. And I know that retired people, no matter what their age, are some of the busiest I have met. Rachel and David have absolutely no problems keeping busy. And she did point out that working one day a week would be better than two so she could fit in all the other activities she has got going on. I tried to arrange a a 9am chat, but we pushed it out to 10 instead because, you know, you don't want to have to get up too early when you are retired. So what keeps them busy? This leads to what their splurge is, actually. The thing that they know uses up money, but they do it anyway. For them, it is eating out and they go all over the region trying different places and drinking wine, lots of wine. They are members of a few wine clubs, too. But don't form a false impression of these two. They don't walk around fat and drunk all day. They like to give back and are both very philanthropic. They are appreciative about how lucky they are and that is why they donate by giving regular payments to a number of organisations and they support local businesses with their custom and they also support a lot of artists because they believe that craftspeople and artists need help and nurturing. Plus, they donate a lot of time to a number of groups and have become very involved in their community. They always pop up in all sorts of places, collecting tickets at events, helping at working bees, attending meetings, and generally being at the forefront of all that good stuff that keeps a community running. I can't stress enough how much a community relies on people like Rachel and David to keep these community and often unfunded events running. With everything that they have going on in their life, I asked what fulfills them the most. They just love being back in New Zealand and find the life they lead very fulfilling. It is the simple things like helping others, enjoying dinners out, drinking good wine and being at home with their cat that makes each day a good one. So any advice for others that they could offer? If someone wanted to emulate their journey, they do think it is still achievable today, which is great to hear. To get into the rental property market, they said you could still buy well in the lower South Island of New Zealand 
And as long as there are people looking to rent, you will have tenants. For them, the key is to have a property manager. They did it all themselves initially, but have since put it in the hands of a manager and they are pleased with that decision. And their approach to debt is that it can be good if you use it as a tool. Use debt to buy the house, not consumables like junk that you fill your house up with. And also that it is far better to live within your means and don't try keeping up with the Joneses next door. Wow, how is that for an information download? If you think you might see these two down the street with their noses in the air saying, look at me, I'm so very successful, think again. Instead, look for the happy couple, often seen out together with a smile on their faces, going to some community event or other. They always have time for a chat and a kind word, and they are the couple you walk away from feeling like they have added to your day in a positive way. And although property investment is still something I have zero interest in getting involved with, they are the property investor success story I have been waiting to hear about in New Zealand. They have reached the end goal early in life, that is to actually own all of their property and then live off the income they generate. Their days of paying huge interest to a bank are largely over. Until now, I have only come across people who have little equity in all of their properties and are in the building up their empire phase. These guys are there already. I took a number of learnings out of our chat, one of which was, don't copy what your parents are doing or did if it appears not to be working. Most of us are taught about finance by our parents and I know myself that my path has definitely deviated from the journey my folks took. The other was that they received their career training on the job. The opportunities will be different today, but the opportunities are still very much there to take on an apprenticeship and learn a trade. I recently heard of a young guy who moved to Invercargill to start work on the ground floor as an accountant. He worked in a junior role and also studied for free at the Southern Institute of Technology. Referring back to that friend of mine who is now well into his 70s, when he said that everyone has a few lucky periods in their life, everyone, and it is what you do with that luck and good fortune that matters. David and Rachel took their large financial windfall and they made it work for them, whereas they could have hired the top floor of the luxury cruise liner and blown the lot. Finally, something I fully believe in myself was to pay down their debt. Now this couple are a beautiful example of the freedom you get from owning what you have. I'm telling you that you won't find a more relaxed couple and as a result, the community benefits from having them in their midst. That's it from me today and from Rachel and David. So until next week, happy saving. Happy saving.